So they have all these mini mayors in Miami and this guy, Shlomo Danziger. And it's Surfside's a small place, but like he's got a man bun. Lots of and I just never, buns. what's that? Lots of people, Alex had a man bun. I understand that, but like I'm not ready for politicians with man buns. Like, and I just, I think it like Fetterman in Pennsylvania is aggressively tattooed. I'm sure we've had uh, Abraham Lincoln probably had a tattoo. I don't know, but like, yeah, I man, think we're like man buns in in politics is new. Yeah, I think it's new. When do you think in our lifetimes, assuming we all sort of get to like ninety? What are the chances that we're going to have a president who like has a neck tattoo? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a fucking great question. I wouldn't um, bet against it. What about a face tattoo? <laughs> I used to think neck tattoos were like career limiting. I was so wrong. I was like, I don't know why you would get a neck tattoo. Because I used like, to think sleeve, full sleeves were career limiting. No, I think if you had like life, liberty, and like the pursuit of happiness on your forehead, you could win the presidency. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a new podcast dedicated to detecting patterns in media, business, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy, and each week I'll be joined by Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and a longtime media executive who was most recently president of Hearst Magazines, where he led the transformation of that company. I've known Troy for a good 15 years, and I can honestly say he's one of the best thinkers about the media business out there. Thank you to all of you who wrote in after the pilot episode. We're using some of that feedback. My email is bmorrissey at gmail.com. And particular thanks to Alex Schliefer, who has been the creative brains behind this operation. We're going to be talking about Mr. Beast's Burger Bonanza, MAGA as a lifestyle brand, and the rise of Shein. So, Troy, I, I want to start with, with Mr. Beast. So I don't know if you saw this, but on Monday... 10,000 plus people, I don't know, I've seen anywhere from 10,000 to 18,000, descended on the American Dream Mall, which is an absurd thing in New Jersey, for the opening of Mr. Beast's first physical burger outlet. For those who don't know, Mr. Beast is a YouTube sensation. He's, I believe, the fifth most popular YouTuber. He's got 100 million subscribers there. Um, and he's using that reach in order to go into products, right? And so he started this ghost kitchen, Mr. Beast Burgers, that miraculously is already a $100 million business. He, he did this like in December of 2020, and it's already available at 1,700 locations. So he decided to open up a physical retail joint, and people slept overnight for him. What What's your What's your takeaway of this? What does this say about the changing nature of, of celebrity and marketing and retail? I think it's a really interesting um, case and moment, to be honest. Although, by the way, I think the ski hill at that mall has reopened, which is good because yeah. you could go for a Mr. Beast burger after having a little ski. 
yeah. um, in the mid middle of summer, which seems, I don't know, seems wrong to me, but anyway. And also in the middle of the Meadowlands. I mean, it's like in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey, right? I've never yeah. been, but. I mean, malls are not places to shop. Malls are places to have experiences and eat. And then if you pick up some stuff, that's good. So things have changed at the mall. Um, I think that, you know what, I had an epiphany. I just went for a walk and I had an epiphany about this whole thing. Do you want to hear it? Go ahead. Love it. Well, I think that I, I haven't really formulated it exactly in some catchy phrase or something, but basically you're getting, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, was the consumer retail landscape fundamentally shifted because of COVID? Have we seen a permanent rise to kind of percentage of GMV represented by, you know, e-commerce, et cetera. And it strikes me that that's maybe the wrong way to look at it. And that what's really happening is we have a complete refactoring of, of systems of sort of satisfying consumers, right? So, you know, everything from how you get attention how you create the thing, the product, the service, the whatever, and how you sustain that. And it's, it's less about like, is it e-commerce or not e-commerce? It doesn't matter. At some point, people are going to want to have a physical experience. But, you know, the journey, certainly the attention, and pretty much the kind of thing that wraps the entire offering will be digital and you know physical is becoming an increasingly fungible and marginal part of the equation now i would just contrast that to what would have happened in the old days if you had if you were in san francisco for example and you had created a wonderful retail store called william sonoma and it was different because it brought a kind of chef's point of view to the retail like to the home cook you could get fundamentally different products there, and it was a bit of a sensation for the uh, sort of gastronomic crowd in San Francisco. Someone said, this should be everywhere, let's scale it. You put it in, you know, it's driven by a, a retail rollout to the rest of the country, and private equity or venture capital or some type of investment kind of group would get behind it, scale it, and that would be the moat. And I think that what's interesting about this Mr. Beast thing is that the distribution mechanism is kind of this fungible virtual kitchen, right? What really matters is, can he get the attention of people in a way that's strong enough to motivate them to go out and buy a hamburger, mm -hmm. right? It's in a staggering like 1,700 locations. The mall thing just happens to be like a little experiential thing that he negotiated with this enormous piece of real estate that needs things for people to do. Yeah. And it worked. Like, listen, like old media brands, you know, old celebrities might have been able to get that many people out. Like a print media brand would never have been able to get the GQ wouldn't have got a ten thousand people out. Yeah, well, well they were and, sleeping overnight. I mean, he was there like all weekend. He had like it's incredible. Know, does, for those who don't know, he does like stunt videos, and there's also a charity angle, which I think is interesting. But he like recreated the entire Squid Game without the the extreme violence, from what I'm told. I right, imagine. but but what you need is a you need a mechanism for sustained attention and a way to get lifetime value out of a customer. And if you can do that, 
everything else you can every other kind of supply chain and we'll get to this with Shein or Shine or whatever it is is kind of fun, fungible and and obviously it's not just Mr. Beast that's doing this Brian we're seeing it with I don't know Emma Chamberlain's doing coffee everybody's doing alcohol whether it's Ryan Reynolds or Aaron Paul or Kendall Jenner or obviously you know Puff did it with Ciroc Bruno Mars did it even Kate Hudson did it with vodka I'm sorry. These are typical celebrities. And I think like that what Mr. Beast has, yes, there is like overlap between like typical celebrities and YouTube creator celebrities, personalities, but like the hold that he has on people is no like it's that's not even close to the typical celebrity of like, you know, Ryan Reynolds is not going to get 10,000 people to show up at American Dream Mall. Not, not happening. I think Ryan Reynolds get a few people to show up, but the the point is, but to add, but to add people, him and Will, you I have am. celebrities and influencers. Look at what's really happening from an economic equation. Okay, all that's happening is you have GMV, right? That's how much you sell. It's a hundred percent of something. And in the old days, we would have put Ryan Reynolds or Michael Jordan or someone on a Wheaties box, and we would have paid them to be on the Wheaties box, which would sell cereal, right? Instead, what's happening now is they're taking a bigger percentage of the GMV. And everything is kind of fungible around that. Like the supply chain kind of moves in and can deliver a product to a mall or to an e-commerce site or to a social media endpoint in a way that's entirely flexible and on demand. And so it's interesting. I, I get what you're saying about Mr. Beast being a more kind of intense focal point of attention and, and kind of engagement from the consumer. But all of these kind of you know, celebrity nodes have become places for economic activity. And I think that's what's interesting. Yeah. I, I contrast it to, I was, I was going through LaGuardia like a couple of weeks ago and I came across one of those like BuzzFeed stores and it's like a typical CNBC does. These are licensing deals and stuff. There was a little corner of it with some nifty things, but like you, you contrast that. And that's what I'm, my point is, you know, BuzzFeed is sort of to, in my mind, like an iconic digital media brand of the last century. And like, they're just slapping their logo on like, you know, LaGuardia stores where you buy overpriced water. Whereas you contrast that with this kind of of media entity and the heat that comes off of it, and it's not even close. Or do you think this is unique because it's just Mr. Beast is just a one of one, as they say, in the crypto world? I I think he's a unique sort of attention hacker. So I think that his combination of kind of prank content, a game show kind of drama vibe and money, 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 there's something kind of every man about him that people love, right? And, and so I think he is unique, but layering commercial activity like a chain of restaurants behind that, which in less than two years expanded to through an app to 1700 locations and over 100 million in sales is kind of remarkable. I think it's okay. really cool. Okay. So big takeaway there. Good to be Mr. Beast, number one. And and number two, we're going to see all sorts of different combinations between people that are building these these big, powerful media brands, but also that are then able to use that to, to be the locus of economic activity. So the next topic I want to bring in is Shein. And I know some people call it Shine, but every article I've ever read about it, there's always some parenthetical that it's pronounced Shein. And 
for those who don't know, Shein is basically H&M taken to the extremes. It, it is where Troy, I know, goes to buy his $4 bucket hats, but you can also get $7 tube tops if that's your thing. And this is a, a Chinese e-commerce juggernaut. They are able to overnight test out trends that are like rising on TikTok and whatnot. And I believe they did like 10 billion dollars in 2020. I saw one report that they did 16 billion in 2021. It's wildly popular here and I know in Miami last year it was even at the you know the height of the pandemic and they had a pop-up down on Lincoln Road and it was like bonkers. So again, I think this is an interesting pairing because you know the the future of of physical retail is still, you know, TBD, I guess. I think you know a lot of the pandemic trends that everything was going to be e-commerce and it was fast forwarded five years that clearly didn't pan out as someone who owns a little bit of Shopify stock. I can, I can tell you that definitively. So what's your take on, on Shein and, and their pop-up strategy and what it means? Um, so it's interesting. They sort of disrupted the disruptors, right? So they, you know, when, when, um, H and M, and uh, Zara pointed their kind of new uh, a new way of doing things that combined incredible price efficiency with uh, more turns, like faster inventory turns and more selection. When it pointed that at the the sort of legacy players, they took a huge amount of market share. But they did it largely in a traditional way in terms of retail expansion. And now what you're seeing is Shein um, basically disrupt them by doing it cheaper, creating a market, a manufacturing marketplace, creating a better um, supply chain kind of attention supply chain to the consumer by, you know, getting manufacturers to create a couple hundred of something, getting them quickly into uh, a kind of social media marketplace, seeing if they sell and scaling it and doing it with like, they're adding something like a thousand products a day. So it's staggering the, the kind of the price selection, uh, kind of, you know, offering is, 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 is kind of shifted completely. And it's, and I think become really hard to, to compete with. I would add to that. Uh, there's a lot that New York times piece, I think you sent it around, Brian, yeah. um, focuses a lot on, you know, um, you know, labor practices and, you know, the ethics underneath of the business. I think that it's it's hard for a consumer to decipher what exactly is going on in a supply chain. And I think we've largely ignored it for I'm decades. sorry. If you're, if you're buying a $7 tube top, you, you know, you know that there's, well, there's something yeah, not going. I mean, sure. Uh, these kids are I, not that dumb. I just think they don't care. Well, and but we're all hypocrites. That, 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 in that, in, sure, and that kind of ethical point of view is perhaps a luxury for people that can afford to pay a lot more. <laughs> There's Maybe. a lot of people that that want that want that 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 want the product and and don't have the money to yeah. pay for it. I remember over the years hearing, you know, it's a really bad idea to try to out Google Google. You know, Google's you might as well attack at a totally different like level. But it seems like Shein has been able to beat the fast fashion stalwarts at their own game. They looked at it and were like, no, we can do this better. We can do it faster. You think you're fast? Like, wait, wait till, wait till we get, um, we get into this. And I think that's really impressive. And I think it's, it's no mistake that this came out of China, right? I mean, for a whole bunch of different reasons. So somehow to me, it felt weird to picture 
people trying to bribe secure now this is probably hyperbole and all that but people trying to to bribe security at a Plano Texas mall to get into the Sheen sale um, when the retailers on both sides of Sheen in the mall were basically empty and you know this is a, yeah. a kind of a pop-up thing and and it just makes you wonder like what is how do we how should we be thinking about physical space for retail moving forward the initial thing was like it was going to be experiential right and I, I never really got that like i i went to the hudson yards like when it was first opening and we did this event with I think it was with Nordstrom's there. And like, they were like, oh, you're going to come here and you're going to have like a cocktail and then you're going to like get, get your hair blown out and then then maybe you'll do some shopping and, was, you know, find the pandemic hit, but it was a total disaster. Um, and I think what's interesting is w what the, the physical retail becomes. Like, I mean, these are like stunts to some degree. They're like hype events, like, right? Yeah, Um I think that they're events to show the world that it's not some weird like it's it's to give a face to the brand. It's to to help people understand that it's not some weird thing that just exists on the internet. So let me ask you this just to to bring it back to to media just for a minute. Is there any analogy to what the role of the print magazine is? Yeah, I mean I think from a disruption perspective you're seeing people that have you know, nimble cost structures and that are approaching how you create the product differently, disrupt someone that has a different distribution model. So that's exactly the same as digital to physical. And then I think that the, your other point is, is apropos, which is that print still serves a purpose as a way to kind of merchandise the brand. And it may not exist to drive the economics of media or media value as it did at a time, you know, of rate base when, when, when magazines were real kind of media delivery vehicles, but they're important ways to say that, you know, this is how we kind of see the world. There's a permanence to this brand. The brand is important. We're curators, all of that. And so, you know, it's, it's less media, more souvenir. And I think that th there's another nice little thing that I like about print is getting into people's home with print is 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 so much easier now because the mailbox is less crowded and less a focal point for 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 people trying to market products that it's kind of a a nice strategy for some players like my friend chris kimball at milk street has a magazine that's distributed yeah. quarterly it gets into my home and it's really good marketing yeah it elevates the brand so mm -hmm. big takeaway retail is changing still has a, a big role to play um <laughs> as far as elevating brands And so the, the final topic is this idea of, of MAGA as a lifestyle brand, right? Politically, obviously um, problematic. Biden came out and had a speech in which, you know, he branded MAGA Republicans as sort of enemies of democracy. And what's interesting to me is what we're seeing is that this this group, it's a tribe, and there are all kinds of lifestyle offshoots to this. So one that, that came across the transom from Politico magazine was this thing called Conservateur, which is a women's brand that, quote, mixes fashion, lifestyle, and red meat. They've got Lara Trump on the cover. And now the founder's theory is that of the case is that American culture is hopelessly split 
with mainstream organizations from sports leagues to fashion magazines, incapable of being welcoming places for her kind of conservatives. And she sees the rise of a dual economy where we have different services based on your political affiliation. I find this really fascinating because I was reading in Puck about Daily Wire, right? It is an under-the-radar, incredibly successful media company. It has 940,000 paying subscribers, $180 million in revenue. It's branching into children's programming, and it is branching into products, yes, too. It now has a line of razors because Harry's razors dropped them as an advertiser. And so they started their own razor line, um, and it recently brought in a former P&G executive to lead a consumer products division. Troy, what are your thoughts? MAGA as a lifestyle brand. <laughs> make, make America hot again? Isn't that what the hat says? <laughs> it um, could be, yeah. Uh, I think it's the bar stool of that cohort. I think the playbook is very, very similar. You know, they're not selling frozen pizzas. They're selling MAGA hats, pink ones. Yeah. I think that in fairness to people that believe something different, potential different than maybe you and I or Alex. Um, they've got to be frustrated with what they perceive to be um, complete disregard from, you know, the, the major outlets that they would like to have take them seriously. And um, so they're saying, we're going to do it on our own. And it seems to be working. I'm a huge fan of niche media. I'm a huge fan of media that's anchored. Oh my God, in- I thought you were going to be like, I'm a huge fan of MAGA. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but come on. I mean, you, you, listen, you want the, the number one rule in making media is you got to program to something. And it's more true now than it was yeah. ever because distribution is basically commoditized. So what are you going to do? You got to program to a set of values or a set of interests yeah. or something very clear so they can program to that. And then, you know, what occurs to me here, Brian, is, um, you know, fashion, fashion, if you want to, everything, at some point, someone makes a t-shirt about it, right? Like, fashion is the end of the line. You're, it's the, it's the souvenir, it's projecting what you love, everything that kind of matters ultimately moves to merch, so they're going to do that. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah, I think we talked total. Well, actually, it's it's related in a very age inappropriate move. I went to like the Kanye West like listening tour here in Miami, and what what really struck me, and I think we discussed this, is how many how many people were there really just for the merch. He didn't come on for three hours, but the lines were like massive for um, that little whatever record player thing that he has, the mixer, but also just for the shirts and the hoodies and stuff like this. But I think what's interesting also is we talk a lot, and you've written about how when you're when you're going to build a brand, you want to build it off a community, right? And I think generally in media, it skews left and that's fine. You don't look at this kind of community, but MAGA is like, that's a real community. It's crazy. I've not been, of course, to a Trump rally, but there's like 20,000 people who turn out and it's like a carnival. And so I think it makes total sense. And I think we're going to see a lot of brands, not just media brands, that have come out of this, assuming that the MAGA movement doesn't completely dissipate. I can see a lot of brands coming, coming out of it. Mind if I ask you a question? What sure. motivates um, someone to go have a Mr. Beast burger? 
Well, that's the thing. It's not about the product itself, right? What he did was he promised or he at least like hinted that he would try to take a photo with every single uh, person who bought a burger. Um, now, judging from the videos I saw, he he was a little surprised by the the number of people who were there. <laughs> I mean, I I think genuinely he he probably was. So I don't think he was able to to do all five thousand. But you know, just the same way that at that Kanye show, people were talking and the music was going. It wasn't necessarily about the music because it was a listening party and the sound was horrific, right? Like I was like, this just sounds awful. And nobody seemed to like really even mind that much because they weren't, were they there for the music? Kinda, but not really. A related Sort of related or unrelated question. So Candace Owens on Daily Wire is going to do a cooking show. And yeah. you, you mentioned that they're doing children's programming, all that kind of stuff. So they're moving into lifestyle content. Does that mean that eventually we have two universes of content in this country where we have the kind of right content, the left content? Yes. And where does that, how, how should you be thinking about that if you're a decision maker? And how do you avoid the traps if you're a company that sells products and wants to sell products to both. I mean, being down here with like, you see Disney get pulled into this. And I think it's like inevitable that, that a lot of companies, particularly when they're, if they're touching quote unquote culture, I think that most companies are going to end up having to choose a lane. I appreciate what they're trying to do at CNN and stuff like this. I don't think it's possible. First of all, I don't understand the business decision. If you're going to do news, you better choose a lane. Um, it might not be great for society and democracy, but if you're looking to maximize shareholder value, I don't understand CNN trying to like play it down the middle. Hmm. I mean, um, it's sad, but like, I just don't. I don't, I don't think that it's. Are they going to play it down the middle, or are they going to play it more like, say, the All In podcast that has representatives from different camps, kind of? you know, that are essentially characters. I don't know. TBD. It'll be interesting to see. And I think that's the advantage of things like, you know, All In and, and these different forms of media is that like, and I hope there's more of them where you have people from different points of view who, and I think why All In works is like the people, you know, have an affinity for each other versus like the the sort of, remember Crossfire? Crossfire! <laughs> Versus yeah. that approach. I don't think like Tucker Carlson and whoever the other guy, who's the other guy? Frank Sesno? Who did he go up against? I don't know. I just know your old boss and David Sachs. My old boss, yeah. Um, what, is, what, what role does Jason play on that? Well, he's sort of the host, but he's definitely, you know, considered more liberal for sure. Is he? I don't yeah. know. That, yeah. Maybe that's since he moved to California. I don't know. It was a long time ago. He did fire me. He laid me off. Maybe he fired me. It's, it's water under the bridge. I wanted to add a couple of things. Yeah. Okay, so I noticed today in looking around at companies that extend their brands with merch is that, and I guess I missed this, this was a year ago where Ferrari did a full-on runway show and a full fashion line that was meant to be taken, you know, very seriously as couture. 
And I would encourage you to look it up. And it was kind of remarkable that really showcased Ferrari as a holistic Italian design brand. You okay. know what I'm talking about? I don't know exactly. So it's it's not like Taco Bell doing their like, you know, whatever, chalupa scented candles and stuff like this. It's like a real <laughs> But that that makes sense. So you go to Europe, I don't know why it doesn't like you see those guys with like the the like the polo shirts with the big number on it and stuff like this and and all these patches and stuff. Alex, you know, you're European. So I can see like Ferrari like being that. I mean, you see like F1 is like a lifestyle brand at this point. So it's it's store.ferrari.com. It is they've taken back all of their licenses, um, or many of their licenses, and have created a full-on fashion brand. I think that's interesting. I also think that products as as marketing is interesting. Did you see the Chipotle candle? that they released briefly in the oh, free man. water cup. I hated all that shit. I used to have and to was... write like that stuff up for the ad freak blog. And yeah. I'm like, this is just, I get it. It's like, you know, KFC is going to do And it's like, yeah, ha ha. They, they made fried chicken cologne. Um, but it's all, it's just PR nonsense. That's my jaded uh, journalist take. Yeah, yeah. You remembered it. It's well, marketing. I re- remembered it because I like resented it because I was like, why are we doing free advertising for these people? Like this is, they made this <clears throat> not to sell fried chicken. Um, I don't Stop know. Maybe it. I was it sells out. It. it was people like it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> their, their constituency seems to I like I was outraged in my cubicle at Ad Week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this will yeah, not stand not on my watch so if you were the cmo of chipotle you would have killed that <laughs> idea brian is that right uh no i understood like it's their job to like do these kind of stunt advertising stuff and like ksc would always do a ton of that taco bell does a ton of it um however i would always argue that as like you know and maybe this is just taking my job too seriously that as editors like we should not play along with this stuff but the problem was it gets traffic and and so it's it's good for the traffic and so everyone knows the game and like it's um i guess in some degrees everyone benefits Do you think that we will be going to Mr. Beast restaurants in five years? I mean, I would say no, but... um, So Mr. Beast restaurants are the same as the Chipotle candle? Well, here's the thing. This is my bias, right? Like, I I really... I, I prefer people to win on, like, the strength of their product, not on their prowess of their marketing or their distribution. I almost feel like that's cheating. And again, that's like me being maybe a little bit moralistic to the point of sanctimonious. Okay, so I just want to care, just go on this trip, this tip a little bit. Mr. Beast has a chocolate bar company, right? Do you know about this? Yeah. Okay. So- Someone showed up. She, a TikToker, showed up in like a suit that she made, like out of the candy bars. Right, and. Um, the candy bars, they just raised money at a $50 million valuation. 
Okay, and they great. put a real candy bar CEO in there. And they're going to build a business. <laughs> a real candy bar CEO. Yeah. Are we going to eat Mr. Beast candy bars in five years? Um, I mean, I, I, we? I mean, some people will. There's no doubt. I just feel like all this stuff is is not the triumph of, and maybe this will lead into like good product. This is not... And look, I haven't had the Mr. Beast burger. It might be a great burger, but like my guess is it's not a great it's burger. It's supposed to be okay. It's not supposed to be great. I don't think it's as good as a like a in and out burger. Yeah. And so like I personally, and and maybe it's because he's targeting, I think, a lot younger um people. I prefer products that are good on their own and and not just because there's some guy who I like on YouTube. Like I would never right. I would so never this- do that. I think this is interesting, Brian, because it has to do with craft and about craft being centered in passions and expertise and the thing that you do. And you go to market and you are a restaurateur or you're whatever, and you make make the thing, the fast food thing, the restaurant thing, the candle thing, the whatever. And this notion that you're going to spread media... uh, you know, you're going to kind of connect all these things because people care about you because you're a celebrity or an influencer or you have attention are fleeting, is your point. They're fleeting. And if Steve, if the $6 million man, what would be the equivalent of Mr. Beast when I was a kid? I wonder. Was there a Mr. Beast? Didn't you mention the $6 million man last week? Yeah, I'm just wondering if there would have been like a $6 million man burger. No, because like culturally, it was just way different than I, I, I like. And so I TBD about like how lasting these kind of things are. Mr. Beast, I don't think he can, first of all, keep up this 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 pace. He's truly going to burn out. He, I do believe that he's going to run out of stunts or he's going to get sick of it. And like, um, um, I, Brian, what is your cultural touchstone like from television? <laughs> Like from television? Um, yeah. I don't know. Probably like Cosby Show. Okay. All, so all of it on you, Thursday night, like Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, and then Hill Street Blues. I was thinking. Them. I was thinking a little younger, but Cosby. I don't think you would have had a Cosby Burger, or I probably would have advised you not to eat it. No, no. Um, I, roofie. Um. But Alex, do you mind just chiming in for a sec? Do you have a cultural touchstone that I could relate to that's non, non-European? I think we had people that could push merch. I mean, we had Jordan, we had Michael Jackson. People like that were... were oh, yeah. They could sell out anything. You know, we forget, like, yeah. there was a monoculture uh, starting with the Beatles and uh, Presley and all that stuff. They used to ship... Tons of stuff through those people. Yeah. I don't know if I would have eaten a Michael Jackson burger. But I think the difference there is like with Michael Jackson, for instance, I remember my sisters were super into Michael Jackson more than I was. And they had this like picture disc of the guy and it was a collector's item, but it was related to this craft. Now is it's literally just distribution and brand. And then you can point this attention and this heat in different places and make money. And it has nothing to do with why, with, with why you're famous in the first place. Like Kardashians, I mean, they're the purest example of this in that they're literally famous just to be famous. It's, it's true, except this is what I'm getting at. And I think it's interesting because 
presumably the Kardashians crossed over. Like Skim, is it called Skim? Is that the fashion? The the sort of uh, lingerie line from Kim Kardashian is is a well regarded brand. Like it's they they successfully did that. They did it with cosmetics, and I think that's why the Ferrari example is interesting. Is they, you know, are car makers that moved into couture to represent broadly an Italian point of view. Um, I don't know. It's it uh, it 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 feels in the case of Mr. Beast like it's just opportunistic. Like why do you start a burger chain because you can? Yeah, yeah. What's your good product? I um, I think it's an Egg McMuffin, Brian, because I've had a couple mm. lately. And I got to tell you, that thing is a truffle. And I... What you do know, you like about it? Oh, I love the sodium. I love the sodium high. I love yeah. the coherence of the experience. I love that it's the same every time. I found that I don't get the syrupy one, the one with like the McGriddle, yeah. I guess it's called. Yeah. I get the straight up, but I, I I think it's better with a sausage patty than it is with ham. And <clears throat> you can eat it in about, I think it's about six, five bites. And it's just phenomenal. And it I think it goes great with a hash brown. Some people put the hash brown right inside of the thing, which I think is a mistake. But I... Um, I you know it's the same. I love it. It's a great price point. What are they now? Thank like two ninety nine. I don't know. I usually get a coffee and a hash brown, and it's like How six bucks. Deal? But you know, it's funny because it creates controversy in my home every every time we do it um, because we're not. I'm not allowed to do it. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter, has never been to McDonald's ever. Really, in her entire life, and I think the others have been there. My son is a bit more of a kind of he likes his. Do they not have children's uh, birthday food. parties at McDonald's anymore? Well, my children didn't go to those. <laughs> Maybe not in I... Brooklyn. They did in Flower Town, Pennsylvania, let me tell you. I'm sure in Saskatoon. When did you guys get a McDonald's? Like 2005? <clears throat> um, so I did a little research on this. And I think actually the Egg McMuffin is interesting because it's like a true American innovation story. As 1971, um, a franchise franchisor uh, owner in Santa Barbara came up with the, the the egg McMuffin because he wanted to basically have like eggs Benedict on the go that was his that was his thing and so of course being an American he went to a sandwich for sandwich people and it didn't start like at corporate headquarters and he had Ray Kroc come in and Ray Kroc was all like grumpy because I think he was grumpy guy and he was like, I don't want to. And he's like, you got to like, you got to come. You got to try this, Ray. And Ray finally came back in the kitchen. He had just come from lunch and he like took down like four of them. And he was like, we're doing this. We're doing it. And then like he took the innovation and he did what he did best was he made it like consistent and he scaled it and stuff like this. But I think what was interesting is that the, the innovation happened at the periphery, if you will. It didn't happen like centrally. The scaling happened centrally. Thank God he did it. And I will tell you that if you have a, a breakfast sandwich at Starbucks and then you have a oh, Egg McMuffin, gross. there's no comparison. The Egg McMuffin's far better. 
I don't think there's been comparable amount, and this could be just getting older, of like food innovation, right, than I remember from my childhood. And maybe it was just because there wasn't as much stuff out there, but I remember when Chicken McNuggets started, and that was amazing with different dipping sauces and stuff like that. I don't think there's comparably that much. And I think it's because the industry is much more matured. You know, they're it's, it's I probably think you're all- maybe thinking in fast food, but certainly in packaged foods into the home, there's tons of innovation. Okay. No, I mean fast food. So fast food, yeah. right? Yeah. So to me, it's a lot of fast following, right? Everyone's got a spicy chicken sandwich. Oh, we're going to do a Nashville hot chicken sandwich. But I don't know of any of that many breakthrough chicken McNugget style, egg McMuffin style um, fast food breakthroughs that, that there are these days. Do you have a go-to Cook. fast food joint? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't eat fast food. Alex, do you ever eat fast food? I doubt it. I've never had Taco Bell, but I like In-N-Out. I like uh, In-N-Out too. Have you ever had an egg McMuffin, Alex? You can taste the Christianity. Um, <laughs> no, that's uh, Chick Fil A. They're the. I think they're both. They're, they're both. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Chick-fil-A is really interesting because it wins on product, right? And so because it makes a great product, everyone who has progressive political views just kind of like conveniently forgets, kind of like Shein. It's like, oh, like I'm totally for the environment. I'm young, like save, you know, and, and climate change and Greta is my hero. But then like, they'll buy the $7 tube top and in the same because like the product like they just want the product whereas kind of similarly to me it's like lots of progressive people eat those chicken sandwiches even if they know that like Chick-fil-A probably doesn't line up with a lot of their beliefs <laughs> I don't know what do we pull from that Brian People are hypocrites. That's why my, my point is always that people are hypocrites. Just don't listen to what, what people say. Watch what they do. Okay. And all of us are hypocritical to a degree. But if you've got a great product, you can you can win. I can't wait to come up with next week's great product. <clears throat> it's going to be early. highly. It's going to be highly ethical. Highly ethical. <laughs> so should we wrap it up there? Yeah. I get it. I got to do a sale. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Alex Schliefer, who is our creative partner on this project. Audio production and theme by Universal Entities. And a reminder, send in some feedback. BMRC at Gmail. Troy, what's your what's your email? Or do you not give that out? I'll just let it go through you. <laughs> Good, I'll filter it. Just uh, send me an email. <laughs>